Welcome to How to Win the Lottery Unadaptable Season, Episode 8, The Raw Shark Text by Stephen Hall. I'm Joey Lewandowski. Uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma is on assignment in his namesake. Uh, He's got some cattle business. Was the city named after him? No. (laughs) Such a stupid question. No. So who am I with today? A guy named Gary. A guy named, welcome to the yeah, show, a guy Tulsa, named Gary. Tulsa, brought, Tulsa did send me with a thing that he thought would be fun for the 30,000 strong. Mm-hmm. Crowd-pleasing moments of the podcast. Oh. And, and, so, and so number one, like the, and, and this, is for, this is for you guys to vote on at mm-hmm. home. You're, you're going to be able to vote on it. Number one is the shot from A Prayer for Own Meanie. Yep. Uh, of course. Number two is uh, uh, the monitor is giving us all the trouble he can. Mm-hmm. From the instructions. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three is the Bacchanal from uh, uh, the book, The Name of uh, the Secret History. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any suggestions here? I don't think that I do. Okay. Um, and number four is, of course, uh, the Flash entering the Speed Force. I was going to reference <laughs> the Flash entering the Speed Force. I should have done it. That was... Honestly, that's the most cheerworthy moment we've had in the podcast so far. I was explaining that to someone recently. They're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, you don't remember when we all cheered when they flashed up to the Speed Force? They were like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm like the Oscars gave an award to the most cheerworthy moment. Yeah. <laughs> we all remember it. We all remember when the Flash entered the Speed Force. <laughs> We all cheered. Yeah. So you've got you've got the shot from Perfero and me. Yep. You have uh, uh, the monitor is giving us all the trouble he can. Both of mm-hmm. You've got um, you've got the bacchanal from, from, Secret from Secret History. And number four, you've got the Flash <laughs> entering the Speed Force. So just vote. Just vote. Cast your vote at HowToWinTheLottery.com. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Man. So I'm Gary, and that's the information that, I, that, I, that I'm bringing to the table today. Tulsa honestly stronger on the podcast when he's not here. Yeah, yeah. I don't really like him either. Do we know what happened? We know, we, we've established. Not, Shred's dead. Shred's dead, baby. We're, we're not relitigating that. Check out. If you search cageclub.me for Shred's, his death notice is on there somewhere. <laughs> is that the case? No, but there, there is. An obituary for Shred's? In the description for one of the episodes, yeah. it says, we finally find out what happened to Shred's. Yeah. He died. Yeah. I think he was stung to death by bees, right? Is that the, is that canon? Is that like the Macaulay Culkin movie? Uh, The Good Son? No. My Girl? Home Alone? Home Alone 2. Oh, uh, you know, you know, he's doing. Macaulay? A, a, a movie called Stoned Alone. And he is playing a person who. Misses his flight because he got too high and is like a stoner that's home when thieves try to break into his house. So you're telling me when I listened to that episode of Mark Maron's podcast a couple years ago and he's like, I just like being in Paris and being rich and like not being bothered. He's like, you know, what's going to get me off the couch. Yeah. This. Yeah. You going to watch it? No. Okay. Did you cheer when this flash entered the speed force? <laughs> you call him the splash? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I cheered. Who watching me? watching the Snyder cut at my home by myself, all four hours eating Chinese food? <laughs> Honestly, 
Great movie. I think the Snyder Cut, great movie. I am glad the internet's weirdos forced the hashtag release of the Snyder Cut. You're trying to get them to like the podcast. You're always on Twitter inviting Snyder Cut people on the podcast. I'm like, we talk about him every episode. We do. So next week, there's going to be a bonus episode. We talked to Stephen Hall. And we did talk about Watchmen, but not Zack Snyder's Watchmen. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. It's all coming together. I also think the director's cut of Watchmen is incredible. I know you think that. I know you disagree. Yeah, Yeah, we had had a nice chat with Stephen Hall. We're going to talk to him. You'll hear that next week. Uh, But here we are talking about the book itself, the raw shark texts. It's always very weird when we talk to the author before we do our our thing, because it, it feels then like the discussion will influence the conversation. Although I think this one... We didn't really go into the book that much. Yeah, we didn't much. talk about the plot of the book. So with that in mind, a man named Gary, what is... A guy. A guy Gary. a guy called Gary. Yeah. What is the Raw Shark Texts about? Plot-wise. Yeah. It's it's a it's a hard thing to, to describe plot-wise because uh, it all like circles around a central metaphor. But there's a man who is suffering from memory loss, which is, by the way, our third book about amnesia this season and i also started reading this the day that i saw hypnotic which is also about memory loss i'm like what is in the water yeah it's the the, um i think i I wonder what do you think is is uh compelling for fiction to to be about like memory loss why is that such a compelling i think it's an inherent mystery because it it lends mystery to the narrative i think that there is you're discovering things along with the protagonist and 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 I, I think that I'm not saying this as a negative for this book, but I think like a lazy writer could use it as like a way to be like, oh, like we don't know. And like it like it it reveals twists later. Like they don't know how to set things up necessarily. Yeah. And I don't think any of the books we've covered this season that have had memory. Well, maybe Project Hail Mary. It stinks. Had that issue where it's like, I don't know how to reveal this. So like he's going to remember a memory later. But like, yeah, in memory because that like deus ex machina a a super drug that like allowed you to recover your memory yeah yeah which is not a good but like in memory like he never really recovers his memory and here there's never like a realization that really kind of like yeah oh right um so i think there's like i think there's the inherent mystery i also think that like there's something as a blank slate there's sort of like the audience surrogate kind of like not Uh only you remembering things i think there's i think just narratively it just lends itself to yeah, there is something. Uh, okay, so, so he is uh, uh, our protagonist, uh, whose name is Eric Sanderson, the second Eric Sanderson, actually. Mm-hmm. He is a person who has suffered an immense tragedy and uh, as a result of it has developed a kind of amnesia, which he goes to a doctor for. And the doctor says, look, don't read anything that you're like around your house. Don't read anything that like someone claiming to be you sends you dealt with this problem before it's not helpful it's just going to make things much much worse right and then of course he gets a letter from himself and he reads it and that letter explains some things um and what we come to learn is that there is a conceptual shark Mm -hmm. and the conceptual shark is known as a ludovician Mm -hmm. and the ludovician feeds on the memories of the people that it attacks and their sense of self so if, if you're eaten by this shark you will lose your memory, um, and you. Yeah, and we get the sense that this is how he starts the novel, having just been eaten by the shark and returned back to this state of memoryless self, right. and eventually lose your, your your entire sense of who you are. Mm-hmm. Ignoring the advice of his 
therapist. He uh, follows the evidence trail trying to find this guy named Trey Fedoris. Mm-hmm. Is that is that a Fedoris Fedoris? Um, yeah. That, okay, I'm pronouncing that correctly or incorrectly. Who knows? He wants to follow this trail to uh, find this guy Trey Fedoris so that he can kill this shark or be rid of this shark in yep. some way. And that's the, the the that's the engine of the plot. He wants to get rid of this shark so that he can resume life. Yeah, resume life, refine this sense of self. Uh, he has memories of his uh, old girlfriend who who died tragically. Her name's Cleo. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the engine of the book. Do you remember Miss Cleo? Yeah, I do. Different spelling. Different spelling. I'd imagine Stephen Hall has no concept of Miss Cleo because I'm pretty sure she was d- uh, localized to the tri-state area. Was she really? I, I always assumed I, she, she was, was national. No, I don't. I don't. I certainly don't think she's international. I don't think she's international either. Yeah. But her commercials were on all the time. Yeah, yeah. And there's and there, well, there is like a maybe like a Paramount Plus or HBO documentary or something. Really? About her. So yeah, fascinating. She's a scam artist. I mean. Yeah, I would assume so. But like in the 90s, I was like, ooh, I want to call Miss Cleo. Yeah. But I was like, I also don't have enough going on in my life to like, yeah. I don't need her to read. Not it. even her real accent. Because she was like a Jamaican, sort yeah, of like yeah, a. Yeah, but she was like from Queens or something like that. Like an Adrian Brody patois. Yeah, she's from, not even from Jamaica, Queens, just from Queens. <laughs> I don't know if she's actually from, like, she's not, but she that is a fake accent. So along the way, he meets this girl named Scout, who maybe is more or maybe is less or maybe is different right. than what you expect it to be. And is Scout a To Kill a Mockingbird reference? I don't know if it's directly a To Kill a Mockingbird he reference. He that it always is, though, right? When you have a name like like Scout as a Scout or as like a, Atticus or whatever, right? Scout as a name. Yeah. Invokes immediately To Kill a Mockingbird. Yes. Like if, if you knew someone and they named their daughter Scout, you'd be like, oh, they're naming her Scout after To Kill a Mockingbird. I mean, it also like the actual, like the common noun Scout, like that's also what she's sort of serving as okay. here too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so we're getting to this. I like this. It is weird th- that they named the cat Boo Radley though. But this, this feeds in. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh this uh, uh, feeds into the idea of uh, signifiers, right? This yep. idea that, yep. that the, the the word sort of brings us uh, this idea of who this person is, whether it be Scout from To Kill a Mockingbird, though I'm not sure what the correlation would be to her or Scout as a job description. Because there's also – like there is the intentional naming of the cat of the, giving it a person name, like a people name, like it's Ian, right? Yeah. And like, that's a joke. Like it just makes people uncomfortable. Uh-huh. So like he is directly acknowledging that names have are service yeah. signifiers and have like not ulterior meanings, but like, right. You have a cat with a human name. Yeah. Tina. Yeah. Named after a fictional human. Yeah. I guess Fox is also a, you know, whatever anyway. Um, but yeah, I'm also not like, like I think for the most part, my last cat was also named Sam. I don't know. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I think there's a like different thing with like with dogs. Like if you're chasing a dog or you're looking for a lost dog outside and shouting like Ian, they're like, what are you talking about? But like the cat mostly inside. Cause like the other name, like I, I texted you, you did not respond, but like is, is Dr. Fitteris like, is that, is that a reference to something that I should know? No, it's not a reference that I know. Cause like, cause I was, cause again, Stephen Hall is not again for the first time he's British. And so I'm like, I don't know if it's just like a British name. Like it might be like a com more common name over. Like it's not a name that I ref. Recognize, but it's also like it's not a name I've heard before. Maybe consciously or unconsciously, where where I was thinking about Scout, I'm like, could the name mean something? Right. And I didn't look it up, but 
You're oh. looking for like kind of Dickensian architecture to the names where the, the names give us a specific clue into who those characters are and what role they play in the text. I was also thinking about, you know, last episode with Project Marion full of it grace. Stinks. And like yeah. that whole thing, right? Where it's like there's a he chose the name for a specific reason and not that you need to. There, but- well, there's a way to do it gracefully and there's a way to do it not gracefully. And I think that um, a lot of that depends on the quality of the writing around the thing. Yeah. Did you like this? This is the second time you read this book. Yeah. What do you think of this book? I like it quite a bit. Yeah. Cause he wrote a second book. We talk about the second book. You've not read his second book yet. No, I own his second book. I bought his second book because I like the first book. Cool. We talk about this in the interview, but like this book reminded me a lot of different things and kind of, it ultimately becomes its own thing. But I didn't really know. I think the only thing I really knew about this, because so many of the books that we read here, I, I don't know anything about. It's just like you pick a thing for us to read and I'm going to read it for the first time. And the only thing I really knew about this was there's the visual component. Like, can you, you want to explain why this is, we deem this, you deem this unadaptable? Yeah. Because this is the only thing I knew about the right, book going in. It, it uses um, this thing that's part, uh, uh, there's a school of poetry called Concrete Poetry, which um, uses the words on the page, uh, not so much for what the language being used, the letters being used to formulate words signifies, but to what the structure that the words themselves form on the page signify the emotions that they can invoke from you based on the way that they're arranged on the page. So not necessarily what the words mean in the traditional sense of, mm-hmm. of how you mean it, but like, for example, an enormously dense block of text might invoke a feeling of claustrophobia or a very thin uh, strand of text that stretches across multiple pages may invoke the feeling of crawling on your belly across sure. uh, a place. And uh, what this text does in multiple spaces is it uses the words on the page to illustrate this idea of a shark. Mm-hmm. The conceptual shark. The conceptual shark. Um, and and so I thought of this book as being something that is rarer and rarer these days, which is a book that is conceived entirely as a book Mm -hmm. right um in a way that that itself the concrete poetry aspect of the book sometimes this is called ergodic literature um although i think that that's like a different that requires intentionality on the part of the reader only really functions within the context of a book okay because if you're if you're watching um on a screen it wouldn't make sense for the shark to be made up of letters and say like, like there's a part in the, in this book where it functions as a flip book. You, you flip very quickly through the pages yeah. and it, sh- and it gives you the illusion. Wiggles his way toward you. Basically. Yeah. And, and, and part of that is the illusion of movement that's yep. brought on by the, the flipping through of the page and the letters on the page representing the shark. And that's not functional on a movie screen or if it were, I mean, all movies, that's all a movie screen is anyway. Right. A movie screen is just a very fast flip book. Yeah. So it's not doing anything 
novel in the in a visual sense. It, yeah, it's not doing anything novel in a visual sense if you put it in a movie. Right. But if you put it in a book, it's rearranging the way that you're meant to think of not only letters and words, but you think of this image, and then you think of this image and how the people in the text are reacting to this image. Because then you have to start thinking of them as characters that are living, but they're characters that are living in a book and mm-hmm, witnessing mm-hmm. these things as letters moving towards them. Right. Letters themselves, of course, being signifiers for the world around them. Uh, Because that's what words are, right? The word chair represents something in the real world that exists as a chair. Um, So this is – it's not like it says shark, 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 but it it says other things in there. And and like what it says is not necessarily so much important as these things come together to create a shark. In some ways, it's important that they're not – that they don't say shark, 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 shark because the thing that's interesting about this is that uh, letters – words can represent something completely different right. from what they are. Yeah. Um and and this is all like heavy text-based book shit. Yeah. It's, it's it's not movie stuff. Um but also at the same time when I was reading it uh I thought the first time or this time. This time. Yeah. I thought, well, I think you could I I'm not sure how, but I think you like it is a very visual book. Mm-hmm. There are um Genre elements uh, and thriller elements. It's paced like a thriller yeah. um, that I think would be very effective on on screen. And I think that the the concrete poetry parts you can you can essentially I don't, I, I don't know what you would replace them with, but you could replace them with something that is unique to when you were when you were reading and maybe visualizing in your head either actively or passively. Like, how did you picture the shark? Was it made of letters or was it made of like how did you? Yeah, that's no, that's a great question. I think that when um, when I wasn't being asked, when I was wasn't being asked to think of them as a shark that's made of letters, I was thinking of it as um, either like Bruce from Jaws. Yeah, I, I was thinking of it like as, a, like, of as, an actual, a, as like a, an actual like great shark, white, like yeah. a very large shark. Um, and then you're reminded in, in a very like Brechtian way, like, no, look, you're reading a book. This is like the shark exists because we're we're uh, I'm putting the idea of the shark in your head through words. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's it's breaking this uh, illusion that you have in your head of uh, like a continual story, like a, a, a something visualized by taking the vision that you have and rearranging it back into the the like false thing mm-hmm. which thematically the shark is a false thing right right that's that's like what's important about it cuz i was sort of picturing it as like almost like static like tv static like okay sort of just like cuz like i think the part of it is like again without getting too meta in terms of like you're reading a book about a shark or a not shark or an unshark or whatever it's like he's seeing a thing that is a shark but isn't a shark like it exists in a place where a shark shouldn't exist and like i I was just trying to think of like how you could portray it or whatever because there's also like the main conflict here is that while this is all going on he's trying to escape this shark there's also this guy mycraft ward mycroft ward mycroft right which is another like when you when you think scout you think to kill a mockingbird when you think mycroft you think sherlock holmes right mycroft is a is a unique name Mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes's brother, Mycroft Holmes. I don't think I knew that. Okay, because I'm a dumb person. Um. Well, he's yeah. Mycroft Holmes is Sherlock Holmes's okay. brother. 
That's, so okay. and, and and now we know, which you'll find out in the interview, that like Stephen Hall knows shit about Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. So this is not like it's right. not, it's not, it's not, it's not Holmes a, is not a mistake. Right. Right. Mycroft Ward is not a mistake. He's he's Sherlock Holmes is smarter brother. So as Eric is trying to second Eric is trying to escape this shark. There's this guy, Mycroft Ward, who has figured out a way to basically pass his consciousness on to multiple people and will one day like a virus, kind of like a matrixy Agent Smith kind of thing, infect everyone and he will be everyone. Right. This this consciousness is uh, concerned exclusively with survival mm -hmm. and the way to survive and to become superior is for them to – you know, it starts out one person teaching another person everything that he learned during that day and those two people exchanging information and then living their lives separately. And then it becomes two people learning the amount that two people learn, but you – You double your time You basically. double your time. Yeah. You give up 12 hours on a Saturday to like sync up, but you basically live twice as much life as a normal person. Yeah, and then that expands and expands and expands until there's hundreds of thousands of people across the globe – Yep. Living this, sharing the internet space, sharing each other's consciousness, and they are trying to expand in this really like uh, uh, almost Marvel Comics style plot that creates a uh, like a world destroying consciousness that would take over everything if not for our protagonist who's being hunted by a conceptual shark and his manic pixie dream girl sidekick. Scout. Scout. Who, who may or may not be his ex-girlfriend reincarnated. Who is part of this this uh, Mycroft ward. Yeah. Um, because she started to get assimilated or whatever the verb is, and then her sister unplugged the internet. Unplugged the modem, yeah. And, yeah. And so she is going to use this... Conceptual, conceptual shark. Conceptual shark mm -hmm. that destroys memories and the sense of self to eat the sense of self of all of these... The matter-antimatter thing, like the two like opposites, yeah, they will cancel each other out. And I think, you know, we talk about this a little bit in the interview, but I think – so actually before I get there, reading this, and I did not really think about it at all in the interview, but it reminded me kind of of like Snow Crash, like the kind of the cyberpunky kind of thing, but in a way uh -huh. that like didn't make me cringe. There was a part on the Wikipedia page that said that Mycroft Ward was a steampunk villain, and I was like, I don't see that. I don't like. I don't know what steampunk. I, I'm not like. I think steam, it's just because like he started in the 1800s, probably, and okay. they're like, you know, yeah. like that might be that kind of a that. I don't know because like what I like about Mycroft Ward is that he's not in the book. Like, right. Just like yeah. this, the he's got this the the looming specter. Yeah. Well, Mister Nobody is kind of him, but yeah, but he's only in one scene, right? Like it's not like there's like. Also, as we talked about, there's different Mr. Nobody's. Like, I was picturing Kurt Russell from Fast and Furious because my brain is broken. Yeah, uh, which I know. It's not It's not broken. That You're doing a thing that is w exactly what the text is offering to you, which is it's taking this name, Mr. Nobody. And that, granted, Mr. Nobody from Fast and the Furious came afterwards. Right. But you are taking the contextual ideal mm -hmm. of, of, of your life. Like what yeah. you associate with Mr. Nobody and you are painting that over the signifier Mr. Nobody that exists within the text. And also like the name in both stories was chosen for a specific reason because like who they are is not important. It's more about what they embody or what they represent or whatever, right? Plus they also wear – they both wear dark sunglasses. Um, yeah, sure. But I, I like that Mycroft Ward was not – a central character. But what I, I really liked about this book, and we talked about this, and this is what I was saying about the, in, in the interview, 
is that it does the horror thing of like making the abstract literal in a way that like this guy is grieving and trying to get over the loss of his girlfriend while being pursued by a shark. Yeah. And trying to remember and maintain her, the memory of her lest it be eaten by the sands of time or whatever, in this case, a shark. I think it's kind of, it's cool. Like, I think it's like, cause I mean, I'm a big heart junkie and I, I, again, when it's done well, it's compelling. Well, there's like, there's like a Tremors aspect to it, right? Tremors is a horror movie that I loved when I was a kid. And, and you imagine this idea, uh, or, or even like Chevy Chase's land shark from SNL, right? Th- th- there's like this idea of the shark that like runs under the earth yep. and can come up and get you. Right. There's something very horrific about that. Cause you feel like you're, you feel like you're, you're safe. never safe. Yeah. You, you feel like you're safe from sharks when you're, Mm-hmm. When you're on Earth, but the scary this what's scary about sharks is that they're beneath the surface yep. of the water, right? Which is also the scary thing about trauma, right? Right. So, so he's doing this thing where where the shark exists beneath you cannot see it until it emerges and destroys you. Yeah, like that's what's that's what's frightening about it is that that like it all exists like in the underworld of the self. And what I think is also cool in the like genre is like that that's all at play in terms of the metaphor and like the parallels. But then they're just like we got like a flashbang that's like a bunch of letters and stuff. Yeah, it's just yeah, like yeah. it's just like cool yeah, shit. Yeah, there's that, like, like a very fun action movie aspect to it where shit blows up and you have chase scenes and you have like spiraling tombs and this whole world of like this very like uh, uh childish and I mean childish as a compliment world of um the parts of, of any given city or, or space that people have abandoned that children love to explore yeah. and their imagination blossoms there. Cause you think of all of the different things that could be happening in yep. this space where nobody has been for a long time. That's mm-hmm. why Chernobyl is so cool. Yeah. Like in retrospect, you think of like that as a place that's been abandoned. He says for it's so a long. horrific tragedy. No, well, you know what I mean? Though. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's like this place that you're almost desperate to go to so right. that you can look around well, because, like, because it has been uninhabited. I for think so that's long. also like what's compelling about like space travel and also like deep sea exploration is like there's things yeah. that we can like we can easily visualize that like there's just mysteries. Uh huh. For sure. And we don't know what's there. Yeah, and we, yeah. We don't have the technology, or the ability or whatever to like get to that place, mm-hmm. which I think is compelling i also like the idea of like just using other people's mail and like just like nonsense and like just like volumes of text as like to throw off the scent of the thing chasing you well also there's like a lot of very like typically um like it appeals to this obsessive part of a lot of people of like you know their codes and mm-hmm. secret and and like you you have to like there's multiple uh like there's the QWERTY code and then the the um and then there's the extension of the QWERTY code which shows you like how a you, path you to travel to, yeah yeah shows you the path of travel and and it's like it it appeals to the part of our brains that are um like hungry for puzzles yeah and it, it appeals to the conspiracy theory part of our brains too that's hungry for connections to things that's hungry for things that aren't like just uh where the architecture isn't chaotic where we can like 
make a mathematical sense of the world around us and say like, okay, if I, if I figure this out, it'll explain everything. Or like, like than, there has to be a reason why she died. Like there's gotta be a meaning here. Yeah. And the meaning is in this like code that's like three yeah. layers down. Like that's super appealing. Like before, before, consp- honestly, before conspiracy theories became this place for political motivation. Po- yeah. Political motivation is a good way to put it. Like, um, and maybe it, maybe it was always like that. And I was just younger and more naive. I found and find conspiracy theories incredibly compelling. No, I think I think it changed. I think like, not to get off track, but I think 9-11 changed it because I think if you look at like the X-Files, like there's a conspiracy yeah. of like aliens exist. And like that's like a cool thing that like some people probably took too far or like it ruined their lives. But like there was like it was harmless in a way that was like interesting. And people were like, let's play on this. Yeah. And then an actual tragedy happens. It's like, well, it was an inside job. It's just like, hold, like what, what are we doing? Here? Or yeah. Or vaccines aren't real. Right. Or, or like they're trying to put metal into my, into my brain. That, so Bill Gates can track you or whatever. Or, right. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's just like, that stuff is not fun anymore, but like there is still very there are fun conspiracy theories or, and, and like, this is an example of, of that, even though I think it's kind of commenting on the uselessness of the conspiracy um, but it like, you know, it scratches an itch. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like, there's definitely like a, a like itch that exists beneath the surface of my skin that just me scratching at it won't get to. I, I need like some, well, some immensely complicated puzzle. Cause we're all driven for meaning, right? Like everybody mm-hmm. wants deeper meaning or purpose or explanation. Cause we're all trying to figure out like, why are we here on some yeah. level? Right. And so if it's like, oh, we're here because like there's a shark chasing us or whatever, it's like, well, that's not the ex- explanation I was expecting, but like if that's the explanation right. that's, that the world is giving me, then cool. Yeah. Yeah. I have two gripes about this book. Uh, gripe away. That I feel not bad because Stephen Hall, a, a, a wonderful human being. He was very nice. He was yeah, a, one of my favorite interviews. But two things that I sort of like that kept this from being like one of my like – a, a book that I really, really love that I just wound up really, really liking instead was – you mentioned the phrase already, but I think Scout is a very Manic Pixie dream girl in a way that, like, feels – and I know that, like, there's more going on here. Like, she's written in a way that, like, he knows her because he does know her because, like, she is. But it, it feels like unbe- like she's not written believably maybe. Okay. And I wish the cat came into play. Like, he's carrying a cat through most of this thing and the yeah. cat just kind of, yeah. like, hangs out. And as a cat guy, I'm just like, oh, the cat's going to, like – I thought the cat was going to, like, eat the shark or something. And right. the cat's just, like – Hanging, which yeah. I don't mind having a cat just hanging, but like you were expecting, like the uh, I don't know, you haven't read like the Captain Marvel comics, right? But no. there, there's a cat in the Captain Marvel. Well, comics he's, he's that, in the, he, the cat's in the movie too, yeah. Okay, but it's like it's like a, a world eating creature yeah, or whatever, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Where, but it's like cute, but then like it 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 is this thing that can like devour. Well, because you think like historically, famously, cats like fish. And like maybe it's not gonna eat a shark, but like it can eat like a why not a conceptual fish or something. Yeah, and then like that transforms the cat into something. But it's just like no, he's just palling around. Yeah, I yeah I don't know. I yeah I don't like know. it's not an actual gripe, but it's like a thing. Where I'm just like there's like a thing for a thing here, and like who knows? Yeah, as a cat guy, you want more from the cat. Want the cat to do something. Yeah, but like you felt that way about Breakfast at Tiffany's too. You were like, what's why isn't this cat doing more? And I was like, I just love that Jerry Lewis. Is that him in that one? Who's the problematic one in Breakfast at Tiffany's? Mickey Rooney. That's the one. Yeah. The other one. My hero. But I think, so like the Scout thing, I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around because Scout is Cleo. Like at some point. Mm-hmm. How do you know that Scout is Cleo? Well, okay. So there's, as we'll talk about in the interview, there are multiple ways to read this book. And I think the way that I am choosing through one reading to interpret it is at some point, 
Eric dies. And either before or after that, in his grief, in his way to reconcile what happened, he meets up with a girl. And I think it's like also maybe emblematic of like moving on and finding someone like your next person or whatever. But he finds someone that like reminds him so much of Cleo. He's like, and like they have sex like almost immediately. Like he knows where to touch. Like it's like this like very intimate, comfortable, familiar thing. But she it's a new the, person. She has the same tattoos that Cleo has. Yes, the, the, the smiley face under the toe and whatever. And I'm like, is this, so I'm, I'm trying to reconcile like, is she real? Is she a reincarnation? Whatever. So in the way that I read it, Eric dies at some point and this is, you know, his synapses firing. He like reimagines or imagines like his dead girlfriend in this new form. And like the reason that like they just click and they work together so well. And like, it's this like supernaturally quick developing relationship is because like, it's just a continuation of the thing that he had been in for years. And so like that kind of explains that away, but it's also the same time. It's just like, I kind of wish that like, like if that's not the way that you read it, it's like, this doesn't feel real. And I don't know. I'm just trying mm -hmm. to, trying to wrap my head around like how to feel about that. I don't know. what do you think of scout? Uh, and they're in specifically their relationship. Yeah. Well, they have the same relationship that he has with Cleo, right? Which is this sort of, uh, combative bantery relationship that I think a lot of is of the time, right? I think, I think a lot of people, when people maybe still is, but like there's an art. I think we often look at, romantic relationships and then the ideal that we create creative those romantic relationships are these kind of push and pull dynamics where each party is like mean to each other in a fun way and they you know they mess with each other and things it's like, like the that. amy schumer a girl who can hang it's like the best girlfriend is a, a girl who acts like a guy or something like that kind of like one of the guys yeah um yeah i'm not, not directly but uh, like, right i'm not familiar with the amy schumer reference but yeah but it's like the it's like the roasting. It's just like you know, like. Mm -hmm. But yes, it's like. The, but yeah, there's there's a degree to which like the best relationship is is like almost the relationship that two guys have as friends. Yeah, that can just like be transposed into a relationship between a man and a woman where there's sex sometimes. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like there could be more there. I, I I don't I don't you know I don't know how I would change it. I don't know what I would do. But. I did tell you that I thought it was very relieving. That the twist, if you want to call it a twist, that Scout had ulterior motives, that she wasn't just there to help Eric, that she was actually trying to get something for herself, came two-thirds of the way through the book as opposed to, like, at the end. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And that she kind of goes away. But, like, as soon as, like, there's, like, the hint that, like, there might be more there, the book's like, yeah, there is more there. Mm -hmm. And I like that they did, that he didn't, that Stephen Hall didn't, like, milk that for, like, narrative suspense because it's just, like, like, how many times do you see, like, a shitty thriller where, like, the twist happens and you're like, yeah, I, we, we knew that for half an hour or whatever. Yeah. Like if you had to like go a hundred pages of like, is Scout actually bad? Yeah. Because I think he realizes that like what's good about literature with the exception of very specific, like conventional genre thrillers. Um, what's, what's good about literature is never like the twist. The twist is never the thing that you're right. like, Oh shit. Like wait until you see the twist. That's yeah. what may, if that's the thing that's making the book, then Probably with a couple of exceptions, that book's not very good. Right. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, I don't think, yeah, right. It's like the twist isn't doing that much work in this book, which is kind of the way that I want it. Well, going back to what you said at the beginning of the show, like the, the reason the shot works is because like, it's the only way that could have ended. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like the twist were just like, you never saw this coming. And mm-hmm. like, I'm smarter than you. It's like, no, you're not like, you're just a shitty writer hiding secrets. Like you can, you can just, and that, again, that goes back to like the lazy yeah. amnesia thriller where uh-huh. it's like, I don't know how to seed ideas throughout so i'm going right. to like spring this thing at the end which is not which is not what stephen hall is doing if anything no. St- stephen hall has seeded ideas throughout like so thoroughly yeah. that like the breadcrumbs become hard to follow yeah and also place. like it's not like he knew scott from a past life like he made like their entire relationship exists to a certain like at least this iteration of scout exists with his existing memory so it's not like he's like he knew her before or whatever yeah. like it's not like it's yeah. Yeah. So the last third of the book, mm-hmm. um, when they find Trey Fedoris and they create this ability to uh, sort of crash the shark into Mycroft Ward and have this matter antimatter collision that will destroy both, setting Eric Sanderson free yep. and setting Scout free and essentially setting the world free from, from Mycroft Ward, um, takes the exact form and shape of the movie Jaws, the, mm-hmm. fi- the final hunt for the shark in the movie Jaws, down to um, Trey Fedoris is playing the role of Quint. Yep. Uh, Scout is playing the role of Hooper. Mm-hmm. And Eric Sanderson is, is playing Brody. the role of Brody, mm-hmm. right? Brody, the most reluctant and scared of the bunch. And the protagonist. And the protagonist, Trey Fedoris being the the one who's like, got it all figured out, has the plan. The hired gun, the shark, basically. Is, doesn't really understand when his plan is not working. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Scout being the the kind of uh, precocious yep. um, and brave, like, like, you know, she goes down to the shark tank the way that Hooper does. Yep. The shark destroys the shark tank the way it does with Hooper. She escapes the way Hooper does. Um, and none of this is hidden. Like it's like Stephen Hall's like literally naming yeah. chapters after yeah, quotes yeah. from it's the not, movie. It's not a. It's not like he's like trying to get one over on us by by copying literally like probably the most popular movie of the last hundred years. years. Yeah. yeah, so so much so that like it's the point. Like the point is. You can visualize this. Like the point is like yeah. early on. No, that, like, that's exactly like the is. like the description of the lake and like being able to convey one thing. It's like it's not a shortcut. It's not like a whatever. It's like Well, he's saying Trey Fedora says, like, yeah, this is the boat. When you conceptualize a boat, a, a boat for hunting shark, this is what the boat looks like. The same way that like for people who consume pop culture in the twenty and twenty first century. When you think of a shark hunt, what you think of is the last act of Jaws. Yep. So, and it's also like a testament to how fucking good Jaws is, is there, that, that it's still awesome. Is it's there still really fun to read. Anything, is there any other piece of art Yeah. that's so is singular, like that a specific action or event or idea yeah. is so singularly dominated by one vision of things? Hmm. Well, um... Like, there, is, there is when the Flash enters the Speed Force. <laughs> that is very true. We all cheered because we're like, this is <laughs> this is the moment. But if you think about like like just like for, like you know like 
when people think of magic, there's not like a magic thing. Like when people think of basketball, they think of any number of different things. But like when you think of yeah. a, a shark hunt, it's Jaws. It's Jaws. Yeah, you're not thinking of the Meg. You're not thinking of the shallows. The shallows. You're not thinking of open water. You're not thinking of the USS Indianapolis. Although if you are, you're probably thinking of the USS because Indianapolis of Jaws. because of Jaws. Yep. You're not thinking of um, deep blue sea. Yeah, you're you're not. You're thinking of Jaws. And all of those things are in their own way for referencing Jaws because they're all coming yeah. after it. Like that's what's like so crazy. Mm-hmm. Like maybe other Spielberg stuff like E.T. Like you think of an alien like most people, but not all no, people. No, no, no. Not if you're going as broad as broad as an alien. No, no. You're probably if you think of an alien in your head, you're probably thinking of the greys. But but that's yeah, not that's not a e. specifically like I don't. Like that, right. that, that's like more of a scattered consciousness yes. that you don't, you don't associate that with one specific thing. Um, yeah, I, I it's, it's just Jaws. Yeah. Right. Test them to that movie, man. It's one of the best. It's maybe, it's maybe the, it's, I think it probably is the best like popcorn movie of all time. It's a perfect movie. Yeah. There's no, as we talked about a lot off mic about perfect movies lately, like there's, there's more perfect movies than you would think, but like, that's a perfect, that's a perfect movie. One, yeah. yeah. Um, and we're also covering it on Too Fast, Too Forever. I'll be edited. That episode will be out by the time this comes out. Because of boats. Because of boats. It'll, we're actually, and coincidentally, it will release on the 4th of July, which is nice. Perfectly timed. Because it's a Tuesday. We're like, hell yeah, man. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Other than those grapes, like other than that, like I didn't, I didn't, I think the, to use the phrase or the word of the season, like as a very propulsive text that like is very quick and easy to read. Um, I think there is depth there like like i think the 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 novelty and the inventiveness of like the conceptual shark like it's very he does a really good job of like taking something that's very concrete and being like well what if you twisted it a little bit right because it's like sharks and fish and ideas and whatever and just like but it's all kind of jumbled up which is cool um can you talk a little bit about the unchapters so there's a thing that i found on the wikipedia for this book called unchapters that for every chapter in the book there's about 40 chapters or whatever Stephen Hall wrote an unchapter because what you were describing before about the, the places where kids go to hide there, that's what they call in the book unspaces. So instead of a space, it's an unspace. So there's unchapters and the wiki describes it as like some chapters are like a few lines. Some chapters are a page. Some chapters, unchapters are way longer than their pairing chapter from the book. And he apparently scattered these throughout the world. And like some of them on websites, some of them, uh, in a in, bottle in the in ocean. S- some of them in different editions of the books. Mm-hmm. One of them just in a bottle in the ocean. Um, and the only only about a quarter of them were ever found. Yeah. Which is honestly like the it's, coolest it's, thing yeah, I've ever heard. So fun. Like you know, I was thinking we, we didn't bring it up in the interview, but like when Cloverfield was coming out, which is around this time, oh seven oh eight, like the alternate reality game thing was like blowing up. Slusho, yeah. whatever that was. Um, but it's the same idea. We're just like, I think. It was back, and I don't know if the internet was really good then, but like now, especially like there's a simpler time in the internet where like it was like more pure and like people like it wasn't so toxic, but just like people working together to like find like an answer to a thing. And man, like I, it's the kind of thing where it's it's a lot of fun. It's the best, yeah. To be a part of a thing in a time, like we've not mentioned the podcast yet, but past guest author Megan Boyle is currently writing live blog 2023 and like to be reading that as she's doing it as opposed to reading it you know 
six years from now it's a or different whatever. Thing. Yeah. It's like you're there at a certain time. Like she has it for a month or two months or six months or whatever she does. Like being aware of a cool thing, whether you're like one of five or 500 or 5 million or whatever, there's like kind of bragging rights and street cred. Just like, it's cool to be in kind of on the ground floor of a thing. And like, Man, all I want is one unchapter. That's all I want. <laughs> we should, we should like. I guess find. I have an unchapter. The index is an unchapter. Yeah, yeah, but we could go out and find some, probably. He said like it's on the way back machine, so you can you can Google and like you can find. Yeah. But I want to find that bottle, man. <laughs> right. You know, I think I think it's the coolest idea, and like it fits so well with like the idea of a thing like a book, and just being like, well, how do I take the book and like twist it a little bit? It's like, well, you write because like an author I loved. And I've not really liked his work recently, and I've not really read some you of his. Better not say Dean Koontz. No. Okay. I don't. I don't utter his name on it anymore. But Chuck Palahniuk, like I loved. Yeah. And like Invisible Monsters is what like the book the book that I found him through, and then like ten or fifteen years after he put out that book, he put out Invisible Monsters Remix, and it's like the same book, but like the chapters are all jumbled up, and just like that's, you're you're like on the path toward a thing, but it's not cool. Like this is just like this is like I think the platonic ideal or whatever of that or is like and the way the, uh, let's like leave some of the information for the interview but the way that he talks about it is yeah. beautiful like it makes me it, it's like so thematically relevant and and like functional within the text to have this thing that fades away yeah it's beautiful um anything else about the book that you want to mention i think i'm good you should call matt should we do exeno or should we do call matt first okay Assuming he answers. You might be at dinner. Please still might answer. How to Win the Lottery, a book club podcast. Yo, hey guys. How are you doing, Matt? This is a long time, first time, it feels like. You've not been on the show in a while. Welcome back. Thanks. What's happening? You caught me. I'm, pe- I'm peeling and deveining shrimp. <laughs> Sweet. Bob almost ordered a shrimp burger. I mean, yeah, my friend Bob, who's not here right now, yeah. uh, almost ordered a shrimp burger today for lunch, but went with a regular burger instead. But shrimp on the menu tonight. A different Bob, not... not Bob. Yeah, no, it's me. Yeah, it's... Uh, I'm going to send you two covers of this book. It's a book called The Raw Shark Texts by Stephen Hall. Oh, my God. This is like so thematically appropriate then. Yeah. Seafood. Yeah. The the blue one is kind of em- like the, the, the more blue one is kind of emblematic of you want to describe like what goes on in the actual like what makes this book visually. So, unique? so the raw raw shark text is a pun on raw shark test. Um, Ah. and, and the book is about like a conceptual fish, a conceptual shark that, uh, like is, is idea based and it can, it it like eats people's memories and things like that. Jesus. I think you'd like it. It's a cool book. How's uh, underworld going? Well, (laughs) (laughs) um, I feel like I'm further along than I've been, but it turns out I'm not. A third of the way through? I, I would say I think it's probably better to feel like you're farther ahead that you're not than not feel like you're farther ahead and actually be. I feel like it's all about a state of mind. 
Yeah, well, I think it's kind of like a way of me to, to feel like I'm not uh, stalling. Sure. Or I, I easily could, but I'm going to choose to look at it as like, I'm proud of my progress. Like you wouldn't be saying like, you know, when there's a 450 page book and you're on page 70 at six o'clock on a Friday night and you're talking to the author two days later, you know, like not, 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 not that kind of stalling. Yeah, no, this is, it's all good. Um, but check back with me like, you know, in a month. Cool. Okay. Or maybe, a, maybe a year. Maybe a year. <laughs> okay. So I sent you two covers, the, the bottom one, the more visual one, I don't know, yeah. more visual is the wrong way, but the one that's like, has got more stuff on it. That's the cover of my book. And then the other one has like the shark made of letters and words, which is kind of emblematic of like a lot of the different sharks in the actual text. But uh, what did, what do you think of these two different covers in this world famous segment, judge a book by its cover with the honorable judge Matt Erdely? Hmm. Well, just so you know, these, both of these files came through kind of pixelated. Oh no. The green line. Not, not that bad. The second picture, the second cover, uh, reminds me of my favorite movie, Nick of Time, starring uh, Johnny Depp, sure, and Christopher Walken. Yeah, there's a couple of similarities there. Uh, um, can you elaborate on that? Because as far as that, Nick of Time is the one that takes place in real time, right? Yeah, no, just because there's a little guy running, and then there's a face <laughs> in the background behind it. Yeah, I, it's my favorite. So, yeah, one of my favorite genres is little guy running. <laughs> It was really ground, groundbreaking piece of graphic design. But my guess was that this book, um, obviously these two covers are two different editions, but I'm still going to guess that the book came out in the 90s. Not quite. No? All right. When did it come out? 2007. Oh, shit. So why are there two different versions already? There are like there are tons of yeah, there's, versions. Yeah, there's like eight or ten different covers. There's like the UK version. There's the American version, international version, Kindle version. And I will encourage you to listen to our interview with Stephen Hall next week as we talk about uh, why there might be so many different versions. Rorschach texts. Um, all right. So, yeah, I mean. Is one of these more visually compelling to you than the other? Yeah, you got the, the maximalist version has like a hundred million things going on. And what I had said maybe before I got cut off was like, you can obviously make the visual pun and the, and the pun in the headline in the name of the book a lot more clearly because you've got the faces on the sides. You've got the two faces facing each other at the top of the title. You got the shark mouth, the shark jaw thing. So, I mean, that's cute. I think you could probably do without the little figures in the, in the bottom with all that other shit going on. I can't read what it says along the top or really see too well what it's supposed to be, but it kind of looks like water maybe. And then there's like a shoreline at the bottom. Like yeah. I, I like how we're making this feature even more difficult by sending me a low res image. <laughs> well, we're just previewing for the return of tub talk where we describe images that we send each other. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, I don't know if that is the book like a overstuffed, like a psychological thriller or something. It's a psychological like, thriller. I don't know. I don't know about so over stuff. Happening. Yeah. It's I think like there's so much happening on this cover that like it, it implies that there's a frenetic pace to the plot maybe and like layers upon layers of, I don't know, metaphysical insanity or something. I think, I mean, that's, that's all accurate, but I, I think that that one looks way more like a movie poster than it does a book cover. Yeah, I, yeah, no, yeah, that's what I, yeah, it definitely has like a lot of those movie poster tropes, like little figure in foreground, face in the background. Mm -hmm. it's the title of the movie being centered like that is more of a book design type thing. 
um, more of a book. That, more of a book. What is like the t- what more is that like tagline at the top? What does that say? What does that the say? White text at the very top. Uh, I can't read it either. Too low res. Joey. Hold on. Let me see. <laughs> it says, first things first, stay calm. First things first, stay calm. You know, shark stuff. This seems very much like a movie poster to me because first yeah. things first, stay calm doesn't even, that very, doesn't even ring yeah, a bell yeah, for you, the book. You, you would expect to see the little book that says like, you know, now a major motion picture from uh, yeah. Paramount Studios or whatever. But um, yeah, just a whole hell of a lot happening there in stark contrast to the other one, which I like better because, you know, the, the kind of the, the visual pun is a lot more subtle. You know, that's kind of a 90s thing where you take the typography and you just like set it on an angle. I for, there's like a really famous dude that as a as a any kind of creditable graphic design critic, I should have on the tip of my tongue, but I don't. Um, because you're a I fraud like, and a hack. Yeah. Well, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm fucking wrist deep in drift shell. Here. <laughs> but no, I wouldn't know it off the top of my head anyway, even though I should. Um, but no, I like that better. I, I like it better, too. Before. The Rorschach connotation. Are those stains on there? Suppose is that part of the design, or is that just like a scan that had like coffee spilled on the screen uh, or something? What I found in doing this podcast is that you would think that like not necessarily all the books we're reading are big books, but like you would be surprised how difficult it is sometimes to get like a high res scan of like any book cover. Well, is that the copy of the book you guys are actually reading? The one that I have is the maximalist one. The, the one that I have is not like either of these. It's it's very much – I'm not a fan of it. I didn't – We didn't send it to you. Yeah. I mean because we could like you – know, you could almost make this feature more interactive by making a video where you actually are holding a book in your hand or something. Not to, not to make the sausage on, on my time here, which I'm about to tell. It's your segment, man. Whatever you want us to do, Yeah, no, do. You're, you're the sausage guy. Okay. Well, yeah, so would it be say the stains are part of it or no? I, I would assume that they are. Okay. You're talking about the one with the with the shark made of words? Yeah. And there's also, I noticed there's no author credited on the cover there, which is... Yeah. Kind of makes it seem a lot more mysterious. It's two different approaches, these two things. It's like one is a teaser situation, and the other one is uh, like a movie. I, right? I like... like I, see, I see this with stains on it and no, no attribute, attribution to any kind of author, and it feels a little more like... These texts are, I don't know, like some kind of forbidden, maybe audio transcription or something. And it feels a little more dangerous and seedy. Whereas this other one feels very self-conscious. And, uh, you know, obviously, is that a line from the from the books? First things first. You know, not not even that I can remember. It, it's, it seems like something that's created for a film poster to me. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, I'm not crazy about that. That seems kind of cheesy i do wonder because like you know we 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 found out recently after we had put this into the unadaptable section that there was actually a screenplay written about this the movie was never made and he's still talking about like making it maybe into a tv series but i wonder if like this was a later edition of the book that after they knew it was or that after they thought it was going to become a movie if they're like well what if we like get a jump start on that and try to pitch it kind of like as a movie Mm, yeah that could be. That's so dumb. Like, you know, that's the definition of putting the cart before the horse. You're not going to sell the content of the book by making an exciting book cover. That's, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. 
Yeah. I don't know. It's like when, when, uh, 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 Darren Aronofsky was going to make the Theodore Rorschach book flicker into a movie, which never happened. That book came out with like soon to be a major motion picture written all over like the, the cover and stuff. And it just, the movie never got made. And now I don't know, those books seem so stupid. I mean, I think you could do something really funny like that. If, if there's absolutely no way your book's ever going to get <laughs> stickers like that all over the front. That's really great. <laughs> Why don't you bring me something like that? Something I can enjoy. Well, yeah, we'll try. We'll we'll do we'll do better next time. So, well, we'll send some high res images in advance. <laughs> yeah, that's probably. I, I was going to pitch that, but I figured that this this uh, segment was long ago jettisoned. I will I will fax this over to your office next time. All right. Um, yeah, but you know, as far as uh, if, if, if I think that your question that you started with was. Uh, which one do I prefer? I don't know that I even get, got around to answering it. And uh, I like the first one better. Yeah, I do too. Cool. Well, enjoy your shrimp. Hopefully they're mostly deveined by now. Yeah, they are. I'm, I'm into this. I'm sauteing the onions and the garlic now. So, yeah. Thank you. Well, we will call you back in a future episode with a high-res image for you attached. But yeah, no, this segment's never going away. It's just a matter of, we call you every time we record unless it's like bedtime, unless we deem it to be bedtime, which we're like, we're not going to bother him. Or you're on vacation. Uh, but no, you're you're here for life. You signed a lifelong contract. Okay. Well, I, I do like that it's so sporadic and quite frankly provides zero uh, <laughs> <laughs> graphic design uh, information. It's also, it's also... The added effect of like me holding my phone speaker up to the microphone, like it sounds shitty too. <laughs> oh my god, what a sham! <laughs> well, thank you, Matt. Have a good night. Menial family tasks while you call. <laughs> All right. Later, bye, Matt. <laughs> you gotta hang up. I He, his hands are in, in like doing cooking. About He's it. waiting for you to hang I up. I wasn't thinking about it. You're waiting it. for him to hang up out of politeness. Oh, man, that's so funny. <laughs> Sorry, man. All right, read Egg's email. All right, we got an email address, lottery at cageclub.me. If you want to read, if you want to write in about this book or any book, lottery at cageclub.me. Chances are we'll read on the episode about Infinite Jest because we're going to read that. It's going to take us a long time to read that. So there's yeah, a lot yeah. of gap between yeah. whatever and whatever. Meg's reaction to the raw shark texts. This book was so interesting. I'm glad I read it. I liked it was I liked that it was making metaphors literal. It reminded me of the Phantom Tollbooth in that way. Is that a I haven't right. read that. Uh, I don't know. The Phantom Tollbooth is like a kid's book about Can't Google yeah, it. Yeah, I don't I'm I, I read it when I was a kid, but I uh, take our word for it. Yeah. I thought it was cool that the whole work served as a metaphor for grief. It was interesting in this case because the grief came out as the winner in the scenario, albeit in a very open-ended way. Oh, that's Meg's interpretation. One of three possible interpretations that are correct. I really love the playfulness between the characters. Anytime Eric and Cleo had conversations, I had a good time reading it. Interesting. 
I also liked reading the descriptions and the turns of phrases in general. I particularly liked the quote, I've ended up as a collector's egg. <laughs> egg bias. All the insides and egginess sucked out, leaving just an intact and brittle shell looking just the same, perfectly the same, but not really an egg anymore. This is this is egg like commenting on herself feeling like a shell. It's very metatextual. She's she's saying she's confessing to some sort of deep hollow feeling. I will tell you what really threw me for a loop here is that this is like British English, which is fine because there's a lot of S's instead of Z's, Z's, but at one point he says, do not pass go, do not collect 200 pounds. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. He's like, come on. That's Atlantic City, man. Quit fucking with the the status quo. Yeah. If you have like Worcestershire, Shyam, whatever. I don't know. Worcestershire? Not that hard to no, say. No, 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 no. I'm trying to think of like a very British, like replacing the Americanized streets and avenues and whatever oh, oh, with like oh. British free. Yeah. Like Piccadilly Square or yeah. something like that. Piccadilly Circus? Circus. Piccadilly Circus. Abbey Road. Yeah. Would Abbey Road be a boardwalk? I have no idea. Big I Ben? I don't know anything about England. What are the two most prominent? Because boardwalk and park place. Yeah. Buckingham Palace. But these are places. They're not streets. Um. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. The road with Buckingham Palace and the road with Big Ben. Yeah. Sure. Uh, what, Downing Street? What is Downing, Sherlock Holmes's street? Uh, Baker Street. Baker Street's one of them. Yeah. I think Downing Street is where the prime minister is. That's one of them. Yeah. Cool. I just not cool. I don't really have much to say about the plot because it felt more like a device to get the metaphor across, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. Egg says. Yeah. To me, the joy of reading this book was in the excavation of the meaning beneath the plot. Uh-huh. All in all, a great book I've been recommending to all my friends. Oh, that's cool. I'm looking forward to re- hearing Stephen Hall's module because I want to read more books that are of this soul. Yeah. Um, well, listen to the interview for that. Yeah. Thank you, Egg. Yeah. We've talked on this episode, we talk about in the interview, the fallibility maybe of like unadaptable actually is adaptable. Were you picturing actors for these or no? Because I mean, I think the actual characters, I wasn't. I, I yeah I did um I did actually for a little bit and I was thinking um how old is Eric supposed to be mid, that's that, that's mid like twenties no see I was thinking I was thinking that he was older because I was thinking of I was thinking of Scout as significantly younger Scout's like nineteen twenty ish right yeah so I was thinking uh, uh she's not even um she's not even British but I I was thinking of Jenna Ortega as Scout and I was thinking of Michael Fassbender as oh. Eric, but that that's under the condition that Eric is significantly older. I didn't get a sense because I because it we know that it's three years after yeah. Cleo has died. Mm-hmm. Part of me thinks that it makes sense that Scout is the same age Cleo was when she died. But yeah. does, it's not like she looks like Cleo. Or look, looks right, like she Cleo. doesn't look like Cleo. She just has the tattoo and acts like Cleo. Yeah. Michael Fassbender and Jenna Ortega is way too big of an age gap. Um, it would probably be closer to like, uh, your guy, Paul Mezcal. Mescal. Mescal. Mescalin. The only way to fly. That's a Matrix reference. Uh, okay. I got to clarify for you because. That's your guy though, right? You like him because he kind of looks like you. It's a very complimentary thing that Tom, the only nice thing Tom has ever said to me. (laughs) Yeah. And then that you sound, you sound like little Dickie. (laughs) You sound like Lil Dicky. You have the same voice as Lil Dicky. And you look 
like Paul Meskel. Honestly, two very flattering things. Well, one more so flattering than the other. Yeah. Phoebe Bridger's ex-boyfriend, Paul Meskel, star of normal people. And and Lil Dicky. Yeah. Uh, Paul Meskel's probably, what, like 30-ish? And Jenna Ortega's 24, but she plays like 18. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That works. Because like what Michael is... Fassbender's like 50. Yeah. But also, yeah, I don't know. Because I think like, again, it's not about the thing. Like it's the metaphor, right? Like yeah. So it could be a, a big age gap. But also you have to like. You don't want it to be creepy. Because I think it, like the, the it it approaches creepy maybe. But like they're so like compatible that like, you're like, it's fine. Like, And he's like, she's of age. She's of age. She's of age. Yeah. But, you know, keep reading. Oh, you son of a gun. Uh, yeah. Um, Come back next week for our Stephen Hall interview. Yeah, I think today today's crime is uh, it's scalping concert tickets. Ooh. Yeah, it's a good one.